KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Up until the age 18, I was the picture of the, like the prototypical Asian first-generation immigrant, you know. I was good at math, I was good at music, and I had gone to Harvard. And it was like I was a perfect prototype of what an immigrant family wants to be able to accomplish with their child, you know. And because of that, maybe, me leaving school, it's like that thing just being shattered. Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. In our youth, discovering parts of ourselves where we excel can bring happiness and a sense of belonging. For Paul Ryu, coming to the United States from South Korea at the age of nine brought all of that into focus. With it, though, came the pressures of being a part of a first-generation immigrant family with high expectations. Here's Paul Ryu with his story of... My first day. In Korea back in the 90s, you got a limited amount of exposure to Western music. My father had brought me some CDs from America, and CDs were completely new to me, and that fascinated me. And I remember we had uh, the Unplugged album by Eric Clapton, and some other Eric Clapton stuff, and some Beatles, and I listened to those a lot. I think back in those days, because music was such a harder quantity to get, whatever you had, you listened to a lot of. There was no such thing as you just make a Spotify playlist. You just listened to the end number of CDs you had, and you listened to them over and over again. My real name in Korean is <laughs> Duho Sung, but I go by Paul because it's, it's way easier for people. And it's something that a lot of first-generation Asians do, and uh, it definitely helps people. <laughs> Did you choose Paul, or did your parents choose Paul, or how did that happen? It's hard for me to remember if I truly chose it, or whether it was suggested to me and I went along with it. But I like the name. And the name is Paul, after my favorite uh, Beatle, obviously. I think that's just kind of a common thing to do as well. You just choose some musician you like. <laughs> I had the name Paul before I ever stepped foot in America. I think it was highly suggested to me that I should have an easy-to-pronounce name. In most cultures, really, you don't get to change your name. And when you do, it's often because of, like, I don't know, you get married or you're Chad Johnson and you want to be Chad Ochocinco. It's seen as a little bit of a weird thing to do, you know. But I pretty much got to do it, and that was fun. It's interesting that I remember a lot of these dates. I believe it was August 10th, 1995. I think I remember that date because sometimes when days are important to me, I can remember them forever. I arrived in LAX uh, after a long flight on Asiana Airlines. And I remember there was a gigantic screen in the cabin, and they were playing Will You Be There by Michael Jackson, which, if you think about it, is like 
the most 90s story I could tell. <laughs> I think that song was on Free Willy. I remember being really excited about the fact that I was in America. And then we flew into Kansas City, Missouri. And then we uh, went to Lawrence, Kansas. And I remember just thinking, it's a lot more uh, rural than I thought it would be, you know? So it was not a downer or anything, but it was very interesting to me that uh, I had come from one of the biggest cities in the world, which is Seoul, Korea. And I had landed in some place that actually had like grass and things like that. And I remember um, seeing carpet in homes and thinking that was interesting. <laughs> and so I guess the common thing was um, we lived in these high-rise apartments. And that pretty much means concrete floors, concrete everything, really. And to come here, you see a lot of these single-family homes, duplexes, and carpeted floors. It was very different for me that all of a sudden you have to drive everywhere. Like you can't just exist in a, a city block which you can walk in five minutes, you know. It was very easy for me to adjust to life in Lawrence, Kansas, actually, which might surprise some people because I think a lot of people have this notion that Kansas is this really backwards place where um, where maybe a minority kid might have issues. But the fact of the matter is, whatever people might say about Kansas does not apply to Lawrence, Kansas. And I loved living in Lawrence. It was... A wonderful place. The teachers especially were wonderful and they saw something in me that I don't think I had ever seen. They realized that I was gifted at things and uh, put me in accelerated programs and things like that. And I went through ESL in a single year which uh, apparently was not that common for someone to do. Uh, but English came very naturally to me. I loved American culture from the very beginning. I had been a very reserved, quiet person in Korea. But when I came to America, something just awoke in me and I became this hugely extroverted person uh, with a large personality. And I did not know that was inside of me until I moved to America. <laughs> What do you think triggered that? Or I just felt unafraid of consequences when I was uh, in America. And I felt validated by all the things they were saying about me that I could do all these things. People were fascinated that I could play piano and all kinds of other things, that I was good at math. And these were things that I had just taken for granted about myself. And in America especially in, uh, in the Lawrence um, School District, the educators really did a great job in realizing that I had specific skills and helped me, really encouraged me to develop them. One of those talents he discovered was in mathematics, leading him to the world of math competitions, where he quickly found success. I never really knew that I was good at math in Korea. 
I mean, I, I knew that I was always one of the better kids in class, but I didn't think there was anything inside of me that would win math contests and things like that. I thought that was beyond me. I think the thing about American culture is sometimes people notice the specific things that you can do, and they encourage that. Whereas I felt like in Korea, it was more about trying to be well-rounded. And I always thought about the things I couldn't do very well, like physical education, sports, and things like that, rather than the things I could do well. It, it did surprise me a bit that with almost no preparation, I was doing very well at math contests when I began doing them. It was almost as if I had a natural skill for it. <laughs> and I guess I did, and I didn't know. So in seventh grade, I did math counts, and I finished third in my chapter, and then I finished somewhere like in the sixth or seventh range at state. And that's when my family kind of realized that I might be actually good at this thing. That's when I really started to learn math. My family got for me a couple of books called Art of Problem Solving. And the Art of Problem Solving books were basically the, the Bible of sorts for people who are interested in contest math. And I worked through those books. And uh, the very next year, when I was in eighth grade, I went to national math counts and finished third. So it was a pretty big jump from sixth or seventh in Kansas to third in the country. <laughs> in addition to his success in math, Paul was also a gifted piano player from a young age. I believe piano started for me when my brother started taking lessons. And I, I think so many of my stories start like that. My brother, who is two years older than me, starts piano lessons, and I listen in on what he's doing, you know. We had this little Yamaha keyboard at home, and I think he was playing a little bit on it. And that's when my parents noticed something weird about me, is that I knew what notes he was playing. So uh, without any amount of training, they realized that I had absolute pitch, which is... In simplest terms, if I hear a note, I know what note it is. And because of that, I think they realized I should probably get piano lessons. So when I was four and a half, I do remember, in fact, I remember going to piano lessons. And I remember a lot of validation because I was that instrument was very easy for me. And I picked it up very quickly. I don't remember how much... I loved playing piano. I remember playing a lot of it. <laughs> and I remember being good at it. And I remember loving the the attention I got from it. And also, not only that, but I, I do still love the community around music. Once you start playing music, you meet other musicians. And I remember really enjoying my interactions with other musicians which, you know, at that point are kids, but we all play music, and that gives us something to talk about. At the height of my taking piano seriously, I probably practiced somewhere between three to four hours a day, uh, six days a week. 
When I first moved to America, everyone knew that I could play piano. When I first started elementary school, teachers found out that I could play a little Beatles on the piano. And, you know, being in elementary school, there's like upright pianos here and there. And teachers just loved it when I broke out the Beatles on the piano. Like, I would have the principal singing along with like seven or eight other teachers at the piano. Like, that's a really funny scene for me to picture now. Like some nine-year-old playing Let It Be on the piano with a crowd of adults singing around him, you know? But that that was me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like his brother before him who went to Yale, Paul looked to the Ivy League for college with the intention of studying computer science. I think when you're a 17-year-old kid and you get accepted to a lot of schools, including Harvard, it's not really a choice. You just end up going to Harvard. (laughs) So I don't think I made a choice. I just thought that if you get accepted, you go. He can't really tell you what appealed to me about Harvard other than that it's Harvard and I got in. We'll be right back after this message. How long has it been since you saw something new in San Diego for the very first time? Well, Hornblower Cruises and Events wants to make that happen for you because you listen to the show. As a listener, Hornblower is offering a $5 discount when you use promo code MFD5D. You can have your own first day on the water exploring beautiful San Diego. Departure info is at hornblower.com. Make your own first day. And again, just use promo code MFD5D when you buy tickets. As we return to our story, Paul's now ready for Harvard, or so he thinks. When you're a 17-year-old kid and you get accepted to Harvard and you go there, you actually think that you're going to be the difference in the world. Like, you're the center of the world. There's a joke, how many Harvard students does it take to change a light bulb? And the joke goes, one, to hold the light bulb and the world revolves around him. And I think... I truly felt like that one kid holding the light bulb and the world would revolve around me. I think there was a part of me that thought that I'd go to college and life would just make sense and that I would get a degree and things would be like a straight line from there. I think that's when I realized that there's such a thing as free will and what you want to do for yourself. And that's honestly the first time that I truly realized how much music meant to me. And I think that's when I realized I'm not wired to be a hard worker for the sake of hard work. I'm the person that wants to work really hard at the things that excite me and not so hard at the things that don't excite me, which I hear, by the way, is uh, one of the side effects of being attention deficit, which I am. (laughs) But I had gone all the way through my life to Harvard without realizing that about myself. Paul soon left Harvard. After a break, he returned, but then left again, seemingly for good. He started to build a new life for himself as a computer programmer. Leaving Harvard behind left him with a mix of emotions. When I left Harvard for the second time, there were just so many feelings involved. 
but it is true that I felt a certain sense of relief that I wasn't on a certain path anymore. But I was also scared. I was also ashamed, you know. I think it is impossible to not feel some of those feelings when you realize that the path that everyone thought you would be on, you were now off of it. Certainly, me leaving school and deciding to live my own way was uh, a big source of fission, I guess, between me and my family. I think there's a stereotype about immigrant parents, especially Asian immigrant parents. I would be lying if I said my family didn't apply to that, you know. <laughs> I think I... It's it's almost like I joke around sometimes about up until the age 18 I was I was the picture of the like the prototypical Asian first generation immigrant, you know. I was good at math, I was good at music and I had gone to Harvard. And it was like I was a perfect prototype of what an immigrant family wants to be able to accomplish with their child, you know. And because of that, maybe, me leaving school, it's like that thing just being shattered, you know. I would definitely say there were a lot of mixed feelings when I left school. But one of the cool things was that I no longer felt the pressure to be a Harvard student either. And I think that was very um, liberating for me. I am so much happier now than I was nine years ago. I can talk about all these struggles I've gone through in my life because I'm no longer at odds with the struggles. Paul Ryu now lives in San Diego, where he works for the art of problem solving, the very same company that wrote the math competition books he studied in his youth. Soon after leaving Harvard, Paul also learned to play guitar. He now plays in a band in San Diego called Mittens, which won a San Diego Music Award in 2018. You can find them at mittensband.com. Thanks for listening. You can find more on our Instagram, at myfirstdaystories. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, just leaving a review or telling your friends is a great way to do it. My First Day is produced by me, Andrew Bracken. Additional help from Melissa Diaz. Music by Chris Curtis and Daniel M. Peterson. Thanks for this episode goes out to Ramona McCarthy. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund, supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Lisa Jane Morissette is Operations Manager, Jill Linder is Programming Manager, and John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks again for listening.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.